Well, hello everyone, it's Jason here. I'm one of the pastors at The Way Church, and I wanna welcome you to today's sermon. I don't know where you find yourself, but it's a delight for our team whenever we hear stories of people being strengthened in their walk with God, discovering more about Jesus and his word through these messages. So just wanted to say hello before we jump in and hope that you enjoy. Exodus 20, verses one to 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughters, nor your male or your female servant, nor any animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Before we begin, let's pray together. Living God, we come before you today and we welcome your presence here. We know that you're already here. We just want to say it. We welcome you here. And I am very grateful that you are a trustworthy God and that you are worthy of all that we are, all that we have, and we can just throw all of our weight on you in all things. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our series through the Ten Commandments as they were just read, and today we're looking at the Eighth Commandment, the Eighth Commandment, which is do not steal. That's in verse 15. And I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of stealing. In other words, what do you think about when you think of stealing? I had two things come to my mind as I was preparing for this message. The first thing that I thought about was a time years ago when my oldest son, Noah, he's 18 now, but he must have been just before he was three years old, so it was a long time ago, and he stole something from the grocery store. And um, it was the Winn-Dixie in Alabama. There's a real grocery store called Winn-Dixie, okay? So we're at the Winn-Dixie, and well, actually, he, he takes it. It was at the checkout line. You know, it's the low-hanging fruit. It's right at their level. He just swiped it. I don't remember what it was. But he knew enough to wait to show me until we got all the way home inside, unloaded the bags, and he was like, here it is. 
And I remember thinking, clear as day, this is my big parenting moment. He will never forget after today to not steal. I'm gonna teach him a lesson. So I did what you probably are thinking I did, and I put him in, the, left the groceries. We're going back right now, Noah. So put him in the car, in the car seat, drove, did the whole like, you know, rear view mirror thing where I was like, this is so serious. And we, we got there, we went, we found the, the ca same cash register, uh, found the clerk, and, ha and I had Noah stand there. This is like actually sad to kind of think about this little two-year-old like walking up. And I had him go up and like, you know, apologize and apologize, repented, right, is probably the word I used. And it sounds a little heavy-handed, and maybe it was, but you know what? I'd probably do it again, to be honest. Uh, it felt like a good parenting move, because you know, in one object lesson, he'll never do this again. Boom, parenting is easy. It's all it takes, one lesson. Um, like I said, Noah's 18 years old now, and he has no recollection of this ever happening. Uh, he does not remember stealing. He does not remember me driving him back. He doesn't remember having to talk to the person at the cash register. And he definitely does not remember being taught any kind of a lesson. Um, and so I actually was talking to him about this this week. And I was like, so uh, he was telling me how he didn't remember. And I was like, well, I mean, did you, you never stole again. So I'm going to call it a win. I think you learned your lesson. And then I kind of paused. And I was like, well, you haven't stolen again since then, right? And he looked at me deadpan. He was like, only hearts, mom. So, <laughs> so there you go, that's my kid. He's here, I won't look at him, but he's here. <laughs> and he gave me permission to tell all of that story, the whole thing. Uh, so that was the first thing I thought of, okay, is the act of stealing. But then I also remembered a time where we were stolen from. And this was several years ago. Again, Brian, my husband and I, we were on a bike ride with our kids and uh, he had left his uh, phone and some things in his truck and somebody broke, it was a smash and grab, they broke the window, got into his truck and they stole his phone, which sadly had not been backed up to the cloud, I don't think ever. So we had like lost years of pictures and videos, it was very sad. But they'd also taken a stack of really important documents. And it was really frustrating, but and if you've ever been stolen from, you'll know this feeling. Um, it felt not just frustrating, but it felt very violating. It felt very violating because like, based on the documents that they had taken, they knew where we lived. They knew our names, they had our address. So it wasn't just stolen property at that point, it felt like stolen peace. And so interestingly, as I was thinking about this command this week that we're studying, I was thinking about stealing, and here's the turn that my own heart made. I was pretty quick to think about other people, right? I was quick to think about my son stealing. I was quick to think about being stolen from, or even to zoom out from there, I, I was also thinking about bigger things, things that you might think about, like, like somebody robbing a bank or, or stealing a whole car or people who maybe commit the kind of tax evasion that eventually lands them in jail. But I didn't think of me at all. And I wonder if this is the way it is for some of us with these Ten Commandments, with at least some of the Ten Commandments. At first glance, we read it and we're like, well, that one doesn't feel like it applies to me. It feels like I'm good. I don't steal. Or if you've been here in weeks past, I don't murder. I don't plan on it. I, don't, I haven't committed adultery. Don't plan on it. But if you've been on this journey with us so far throughout the Ten Commands, you know by now, hopefully by now, that all of these commands go deeper than just first glance. 
And so this eighth command, like all the other commands, it has deeper implications. And so here's our roadmap for the day, okay? It's pretty easy to follow, two things. First, we're gonna talk about what stealing is. And then we're gonna talk about what the opposite of stealing is, okay? What stealing is and what the opposite of it is. But before we get there, let me give you the definition of steal that's used here in Exodus 20. So there are multiple words in the Hebrew that are used for stealing, but the one used here is the word ganab. And it means this, it means to thieve, literally or figuratively, to thieve, to deceive, to secretly steal, to steal away, or uh, to, to steal by stealth. Now, what makes this word unique, what makes it different from the other Hebrew words that could have been used for steal is that it has a secretive quality to it. Some of the other Hebrew words for steal don't attach that secretive nature to it, but this word does. In other words, what God is forbidding, forbidding here in this eighth command is not only the obvious taking of another person's property, like the overt forms of stealing that you and I might think about, like I've just named a moment ago, shoplifting or burglary. God is also here forbidding the deeper secret desire to take what is not our own. So a good example of this would be when Jesus, if you know the story, when Jesus addresses the, the corrupt business that was being done in the temple, that's in Matthew chapter 21. And it says this, we'll, we'll read it, it's a, in um, 21, Matthew 21 verses 12 to 13, it says this, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So why did Jesus call this a den of robbers? Well, the Jewish people were required to make sacrifices at the temple. And some people saw this as a business opportunity and just started setting up right there at the temple to conveniently sell animals to the people. It was kind of like this, oh, you don't have a dove? Well, here, we've got one for you. Just come and buy it. But then what they would do is they would inflate the prices big time, big time, and it would end up gouging the people. Likewise, the people coming to the temple, especially those who were coming from outside of Jerusalem, they had to exchange their currency into temple currency, hence the money changers in the temple. And again, the money changers were like, sure, we'll exchange that for you at an astronomical rate. We will greatly inflate the prices. And so it wasn't maybe an overt form of stealing because the people were paying. The people were not being pickpocketed and weren't being forced to give them their money. But the heart behind all of these inflated prices um, of these shrewd business people was their desire to take from the people more than was really needed, to take what didn't belong to them, to be a taker, to be a keeper. They were not interested at all in helping their neighbor and helping people to um, exchange their money. They weren't actually interested in helping them to get the necessary sacrifice. It was them putting me before we. And Jesus came into this situation and he called it stealing. So then keeping this definition in mind, I want to talk now about the implications of stealing, okay? So stealing is, first of all, a failure to love our neighbor. That's what I want to suggest to you. Stealing is a failure to love our neighbor, so a few weeks ago, we talked about how the first four commands in the Ten Commandments are what we're calling vertical commands, and that they deal in our relationship with God. 
And then the last six commands are horizontal commands, and they deal with our relationship with one another. If you, if you get out the whole list of the Ten Commandments, you'll see this pretty easily. The first four commands, us and God. The last six commands, it's one another, our relationships with others. Now, what's unique about this eighth command is that if you think about it, it actually encompasses all of the other horizontal commands. Here, I want to I show this to you. So honor your mother and father, okay? Dishonoring is the stealing of another person's dignity. Command number six was you shall not murder. Murder is the stealing of another person's life. Command number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Adultery is the stealing of another person's spouse. Command number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Giving false testimony is the stealing of justice. Command number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Coveting is the desire to steal what belongs to another person. You see this eighth command kind of bleeds into all of the others. In all of these situations, it's a form of stealing, of taking what doesn't belong. And it's so much more than just the taking of personal property. It's so much more than that. And ultimately, stealing is an expression of contempt for another human being. That's ultimately what it is. Contempt for another person. If I, it is a failure to love my neighbor as God would have me love my neighbor. Jen Wilkin, in her wonderful book, it's called Ten Words to Live By, she says this, stealing praise, my kingdom come, my will be done. It turns to my neighbor and demands, give me this day my daily bread. And this does leak into so many areas of our lives. Yes, the bigger stuff that we might think about, we think about stealing, the breaking and entering and even kidnapping, like things like that. But for many of us in the room today, this command is more likely to strike at the heart of some of the quote-unquote smaller things you and I might try to justify. Things like pirating music and movies. I was reading the 2023 Piracy Impact Report from the Recording Industry Association of America, and this is what they reported. They reported that currently over 70,000 jobs a year are lost in the United States due to music piracy. If we think piracy is a, is a victimless theft, real people with real families are losing jobs. But it's easy to justify it in our own minds. This isn't hurting anybody. This is also things like theft at work, perhaps. Time theft, scrolling on social media or playing games during work hours. And listen, I know that many of us don't have nine to five work hours anymore. We don't have those kind of jobs. I'm, I wanna suggest to you those times when we know, we know, we know we're supposed to be on the clock. And instead, we find ourselves spending to our, our, our employer's time doing personal things. What about financial theft at work? Fudging expense reports. Maybe just expensing a lunch or a coffee it was only $5 that you know wasn't really work-related, but you briefly mentioned your job. So hey, let's, let's report it. Things like plagiarism at work, at school. Fudging our income taxes, like big time, when we know it's pretty borderline. Things like hotel room theft. Apparently, some of the top five things that are stolen out of hotel rooms are quite, 
Okay, it's funny. I was thinking like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a confession right now. <gasps> My husband's been waiting for me to confess this for a long time. I'm, he's already shaking his head and he's so embarrassed. I did not know until this week <laughs> that you probably just shouldn't take the toilet paper out of the hotel room. Okay, I figured... This hotel room cost a pretty penny, and it's mine. This is what I thought, okay? I'm not ever doing it again, and I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <sighs> oh, that felt really good. <laughs> I hope you all have this opportunity today. Um, okay, some of the top things that people steal out of hotel rooms, towels, um, lamps, I don't know. That's, I'm not, this is why they bolt them down now, okay? They have to bolt them down. Sheets, okay? Some of those sheets are pretty nice though, right? Depends on what hotel you're at. Um, some people even try to take, I'm not kidding, mirrors and mattresses. How does that work? How do you get a mattress out of a hotel? How do you get a mirror? You're like, well, you know what? This does go pretty good with my, anyways. In all of these situations, the heart has to make a certain turn and it turns inward. It becomes self-centered, and we begin to justify reasons for stealing. Maybe many of us wouldn't try to steal a mirror or a mattress, but what about that $5 coffee? We begin to justify reasons, and ultimately when I steal, even from a corporation, I end up choosing me, me over we, and I get helped at the expense of the community. Stealing is not only a failure to love my neighbor, it is also a failure to trust God. Stealing is a failure to trust God. There are many reasons we might steal, but for followers of Jesus specifically, I want to suggest that the underlying issue for stealing is that we just, at the end of the day, we really don't trust him. We don't trust God. Maybe we think we do. I think we probably all think we do, but then maybe something happens, a crisis, or maybe it's gas prices surging, rental prices going to an astronomical rate, grocery prices skyrocketing, and suddenly it doesn't feel as easy to trust him with the everyday anymore. Fear turns into worry, and worry into anxiety. And we stop trusting that God is as good as we once thought he was. We stop trusting that he is for us, that he knows what we need, the details of what we need. We stop trusting that he's actually going to provide for us before we get our next paycheck. And so we decide to provide for ourselves. And sometimes that's by taking, and sometimes that's just by keeping. Taking what doesn't belong to us, or by keeping what we perhaps at one time would have happily shared with our community, but suddenly our mindset has shifted into a poverty kind of mindset, into a this is mine mindset. I got to keep and I got to hold on to this now, because if I don't look out for me, who else is going to? So for the followers of Jesus then, stealing reveals a deeper heart issue, and it's that we don't really trust that God's good, that he's for us, and that he's going to give us what we need, not just what we want. Hear me. Not just what we want. That's a different thing. But what we need. So that's what stealing is, okay? 
That's the first part. Now let's move on to the second part, and I want to move to kind of like the other end of the spectrum. If that's what stealing is, what is the opposite of stealing? What is the opposite of stealing? And it's not just not stealing, by the way. Newton's third law, some of you know it, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So I was thinking about this. What is the opposite reaction of stealing? It's generosity. It's giving. I heard somebody say it. It's generosity. The undergirding of this command is, listen, don't just not be a thief. Be a generous giver. That's what the opposite of stealing actually is. So then here's what generosity looks like. First of all, it looks like loving our neighbors. In the New Testament, Jesus is asked by a Pharisee, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 22. He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Here in Matthew 22, Jesus is actually repeating Moses. So back uh, in the Old Testament, after giving the Israelites these Ten Commandments here in Exodus, Moses actually goes on to expand on the Ten Commandments, and he teaches about them in Leviticus. So in Leviticus chapter 19, there's like a whole chapter, the whole of, of um, Leviticus 19, Moses is addressing this topic of neighborliness. In other words, what it means to be a good neighbor, and right there in the middle of it, in verse 18, Leviticus 19, 18, this is what Moses tells the people of Israel. Love your neighbor as yourself. It was true in the Old Testament. It was true in the New Testament. And it is true today. This is ultimately God's vision for humanity, that we would be givers and not takers, that we would love our neighbors more than we love ourselves. Ephesians 4 gives us a picture of this. Ephesians 4.28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Klaus Bachmuel, he's a, the former professor of systematic theology at Regent. He said that this verse in Ephesians 4 shows us the transformation from parasite to provider. That it replaces theft with thrift and greed with giving instead of covetedness, charity. And this is the vision that God gives us for humanity, that we would have a non-anxious, joyful kind of, of giving, driven out of care and concern for our community. And rather than being people who are like parasites, rather than being people who would take from our neighbors constantly, that we would actually look for ways to bless, to bless others, to bless our neighbors. Jerry Bridges observes that there are three basic attitudes towards possessions. Here they are. I like these. The first is this. What's yours is mine. I'll take it. That's the attitude of a thief. The second attitude is what's mine is mine, so I'll keep it. And that's the attitude that many of us may have. Or we just have this natural tendency to kind of look inward, to look at ourselves first. But here's the third attitude. The third attitude says, what's mine is God's. 
and so I'll share it. And it's this third attitude that's being cast as a vision for the people of God, for followers of the way of Jesus. Don't just not be a thief. Be generous toward your neighbor because all we have from him, all we have is from him anyways. And I do, I want to name just a caveat here. Um, This command, this eighth command actually affirms the right to own personal property. We We can, we can own personal property. So the implication of do not steal is that there's something to steal in the first place. Like there's something that's yours. But the encouragement that I have here for us is that even as we have personal property, and that's a good thing, this command calls us into a right view of our possessions. In other words, they don't possess us. Do you know? Like the things that we own don't have ownership over us. We're open-handed, non-anxious. I'm not saying that we don't use wisdom with our personal possessions. I'm just saying within the bounds of wisdom, We can be generous. We are to be generous. So generosity not only looks like loving our neighbors, it also looks like this. It looks like trusting God. So if stealing implies that we do not trust God, generosity implies that we fully trust God. Listen to what Jesus tells his followers in Matthew chapter 6. And As I was thinking about this thing, I was reading it last night, and I was just thinking, I don't know. feels like maybe there's a few of us in the room that just really need to hear this and be encouraged by Jesus' words. So I'm going to read it a little slower. It's on the screen for you. Matthew 6, it says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Do not worry, he starts out by saying, do not worry. Listen, we have a God who knows our every need, ours collectively, but yours individually. Think of that as individually as you would dare to. He knows your needs the intricacies of what you are going through. He knows all of the things that we're facing, housing prices, gas prices, grocery prices, the surprise bill or the unexpected expense that maybe you weren't anticipating. But even more so, he knows what you need, what your family needs, parents, what your children need. He knows all the particularities of your specific situation the specific worries and anxious thoughts that sometimes you may wake up in the middle of the night thinking about, maybe that you carried with you into the building today. He knows it all, all of it. And still he says to us, do not worry. Trust me. Trust me with it all. 
And I believe that he says to us, I will not abandon you. I will not forsake you. I am for you. I am for you and not against you. And when we trust God, we don't have to steal out of fear because we know he takes care of us. When we trust God, we don't have to steal out of worry because we're confident that he is going to give us what we need when we need it. And so here's the turn. We have a slide, one last slide. This is the turn from stealing to generosity. Stealing looks like a failure to love our neighbor, where generosity looks like loving our neighbors. Stealing looks like a failure to trust God, where generosity looks like trusting God fully. Amanda, you can go ahead and make your way up to the keys. In a moment, I'm going to invite Chris up, and he's going to lead us in communion this morning. Uh, But as we close, I have one last story that I was thinking about this week that's tender to me. Uh, Many years ago, Ryan and I had just moved here with our three little boys, and Money was very, very tight for us, very tight. And we had just run out of our allotted amount for the month, still needed groceries. And Ryan did a little side job and he came home with $100 cash. And it was like, okay, we decided I'll go and I'll use it for groceries. I kind of plotted out everything that we needed. I went to the store and I was able, I thought I was gonna need more than 100, but I was able to spend only 60 and get everything we needed. It felt like a small miracle. Walking out to the car with my $40 in my pocket and I was like, oh, Ryan's gonna be so excited. I'm already thinking about how, what we can use it for for the next thing of groceries. <clears throat> and as I was leaving the store, I was driving away from the store, I saw a woman and her younger daughter on the side of the road asking for money. And it wasn't audible. I didn't hear anything out loud, but I felt the Lord so clearly tell me, Alisa, give her the $40. I don't want to, so I drove past her and I pulled into the grocery store parking lot and I sat there for a good 10 minutes and just cried and kind of fought with the Lord through tears. I told him I don't want to. It was mine, it was ours, that we had kids too that we had groceries, little boys who needed looking after, and I held that money in my hands and I white-knuckled it, literally. And I just said, I don't wanna do this. But the Lord so kindly, so gently reminded me that like hours before we didn't have that $100, that he'd given us what we needed, that he'd heard our prayers, and that he'd do it again, and that he'd keep on doing it. But that this day, in this moment, At this time, we were invited to be the means of grace for this lady and her daughter. He did not force my hand that day. It was, I felt, a very gentle invitation to trust him. And not only with our resources, it wasn't about the $40. For me, it was about my family, to trust him with my family. So I got out of my car and I went and I found the lady and I gave her the money and she bawled. I cried too, but for different reasons. <laughs> and if you've been in the church for a while, this is the point at which you might think, or hope at least, that then I got home and there oh, was $40 in our mailbox. There wasn't. That's not what happened. We were back to ground zero. 
we had to throw our weight back on Jesus for the next week and for the week after that and the week after that. And you know what? He provided every time. And he's kept on providing ever since. Friends, if I can encourage you with anything, it is this. Throw your weight on him. We can trust our God with our time, with our resources, with our family, with our worries, we can trust him. And I am certainly not trying to stand up here and say to you, look at my story, you can trust God. Much more than that, I wanna say to you, look to the cross. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ because it's actually there in the story of the cross that we most clearly see that our God is a very generous giver. He gave us Jesus Christ, his only son. And I know that that's a thing that we hear often in the church, but just think about that with me. If you're a parent, think about that. His only son, who he loved and delighted in, was well-pleased with, he gave us Jesus, who died a criminal's death, a brutal death took on our sin and our shame and suffered in our place so that you and I would not have to, died for us. He gave us Jesus. And what's more, Jesus also gave his life. You hear this whenever we say communion each week. I hope you hear it. But nobody took Jesus' life from him. He gave it, willingly laid it down for us. So then here is my prayer for us today, Way Church family. My prayer for us is that we would be a people who embrace the eighth command. And may we not just not steal, rather, may we live generous lives, lives marked by the kingdom of heaven continuously at work in us for the duration of our pilgrimage lives that reflect the generosity of the good God that we serve, the God who freely gave us his son, Jesus. Lives that do not store up treasures on earth, but lives that are lived in light of eternity. Well, I want to thank you for listening to today's sermon. I'm Jason. I'm one of the pastors at The Way Church. And if you want to find out more about what's going on in the life of our church or how to get connected more deeply, you can go to thewaychurch.ca. We're so encouraged to hear stories about how these messages have been strengthening people in their walk with God, drawing them deeper in their relationship with Him and in His Word. And so this is love from our team to you. Hope you're doing well today and love to hear from you.